Hello, and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. This morning, I just want to teach on a, on a little thought called priesthood. Priesthood, and I'm a little, little old-fashioned the, the way I start, so uh, we're going to start with our scripture text. It, it really uh, sets the foundation for what I, we're talking about this morning. It sets the foundation for, for priesthood, and my scripture is in Exodus 25, verses 8 through 9. And the Bible says, and let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. And then First Peter says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people that ye show, should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen. You have to bear with me. This is my first time using Keynote. Usually my wonderful, beautiful, amazing wife over there does it for me. But today I'm kind of riding solo and I also use a lapel. This is the first time I've held a mic in a long time. This is kind of strange for me, but <laughs> bear with me. But priesthood, you know, there's a, there's a cry in humanity for more than what can be offered out there beyond these doors. There's a growing hunger for something that can't that, 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 that something that can satisfy a restless heart. There's a God-sized void in people's hearts that people can't just seem to pinpoint what is missing. There's hurt and pain, but there's no pain taker for them. There's, there's confusion, but there's, there's no way maker. There's empty promises, but there's no promise keeper. There's darkness and there seems to be no light at the end of our tunnels. And there's also a cry not only in the world, but I've heard it and I've seen it even in the church. There's a cry for something more than what religion can offer. There's a hunger for more of God. There's a longing for a deeper dimension. Many, many have prophesied and preached of revival and will have a mighty move of God and, and will we'll be so touched and blessed. And then we descend down from that mountaintop back down to where we were, back down into religion, and then we just wait for the next outpouring. This was never the plan of God. God, this is not the pattern that God had established, yet we find ourselves living in a rut on a daily basis. The same routine. Can I get an amen? I'm a man of routine. I like, I have a certain way I do things. I wake up, I shower, I eat, I shave, all that. It's, it's the same every morning. Drive to the same job, eat the same cheese sandwich at lunch, make the same drive back to the same house, hopefully back to the same husband or the same wife. Day to day can get pretty boring sometimes. And that can carry over into our spiritual lives into our prayer lives. We go to the same church. We sing the same songs. We, we sit in the same chair. Amen. That's how you know you're a true Pentecostal. You got your own chair. We bring our own habits and our own routines to church and turn it in from a relationship to a religion. 
But there's more to this than just religion. There's more than just routine. There's more than just coming to the same church and singing the same songs, sitting in the same chair. But there is a divine call of God to all Christians to come out of religion and into relationship. As a people, as Christians, understand that there is a high calling mentioned in Philippians 3.14. It's the most important ministry that we are all called to be a part of. It's more important than, than any title or position, and it's for everybody. Point to me and say, I'm everybody. Well, point to yourself, rather. It's by which we press towards the mark, and it's the call to priesthood. The Bible says that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. But what does that even mean? If you don't know what that means, they're just words on a page. But in the days of old, the, the, they, there was 12 tribes of Israel and, and, and the Levites, they, these, this tribe called the Levites, they were the sons and daughters of Levi. They were the chosen tribe. They were to be the priests for the nation of Israel. God commanded in Exodus 25 that they make a tabernacle or a sanctuary. And a sanctuary is more than just a room or, or a building or something, but a sanctuary is a sacred place, a separate place. A, another word for separate, a holy place, a place of refuge. That was the tabernacle, the sanctuary. God said, let them make me a, a place of refuge so I can dwell, I can come down, and I can live I'm with you. The almighty God, the omnipresent Savior, the omniscient deity, this, this big guy in heaven, you know, some call him, wanted a place where he could come down from heaven and dwell and live with his creation. Exodus 25 and 9, according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even though shall he make it. The, the New Living Translation says, you must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. No deviation, but exactly the way. God gave Moses instructions for how to make this, this tabernacle, this dwelling place, and what to put in it. He starts with the Ark of the Covenant, and this was a sacred box, a golden box, or a chest that, that this was God's dwelling place back in the Old Testament. God said, make an, art of shittim, uh, make an Ark of shittim wood and, and cover it with gold on the inside and on the outside. Make it about 45, make it 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, and 27 inches deep. I figured inches were easier than cubits, so I used inches. They were to put four gold rings on it, as you see, the, and, and they were to put poles through to carry it. And this is how they would, they would carry it as they wandered through the wilderness. They would, they would pick it up, and that's how they would carry it. In the ark were three things, the Ten Commandments, the stone tablets that, that Moses wrote the Ten Commandments on, or the law, and Aaron's rod that budded. On the top of the ark, as you see, God said, make a mercy seat of pure gold with cherubim on either side. They would face each other and their wings stretch over it. And upon that mercy seat, I will commune with you. Next, God gave instructions for this thing called the table of showbread. And it was 36 inches long, 18 inches wide, 27 inches high. My wife said as she was looking at these pictures, like, man, they were short. 
It was made out of the same wood as the ark, and it was overlaid with, with pure gold, and it had four rings on it as well to carry, and on it were spoons and bowls made of pure gold, and there was always to be bread on it. Next was the golden candlestick, and this was the only light source of the tabernacle because the place where all the furniture would go was, was covered in curtains of linen and goat hair, and natural light could not get in through those curtains. So a candlestick was made, and it was made of 75 pounds of pure gold. I wish I was 75 pounds. Mm. Seven lamps were to be made, a middle piece and three branches on either side with, with cups like almond blossoms and complete with leaves and buds. They were to be lit all the time so that they could give light inside that tabernacle. The fuel of the lamp was, it was a pure olive oil. It was good stuff. It was pure olive oil that all the people would go uh, every day and collect. The candlestick was, was completely hollow, and no matter what area you put oil into, the, the, the whole lamp would fill up, so there was no designated filling point. An altar of incense was, was made from the same wood and covered with gold. It was 18 inches square and 36 inches tall, with horns on the corners covered, uh, uh, carved from the same piece of wood. It had two gold rings on either side to carry it with. It was placed right outside the, this, this, this curtain, and behind that curtain was what they called the Holy of Holies. That was the sacred place. That's where the ark went. That was the, the most sacred place in the tabernacle. And every day at that altar, a sweet savor, a beautiful smell would fill that tabernacle. And once a year, atonement would be made on the horns of that altar. And that was the second altar. The first altar was in the outer courts. See, what we just came from was the inner courts. Now this is the outer courts, and this was called the brazen altar. It was made of, of, of that same wood as everything else, covered in brass, though, instead of gold. And utensils uh, that were used were, were made of brass and had four bronze rings for it to be carried. And this was for, for burnt offerings. This is where they would light the fire and sacrifice lambs and the, and the goats and all, the, all, the, all that stuff to the Lord. And it was a, it was a bloody and a smelly place. The stench of blood and, and burning animal filled that outer court. It was the place of sacrifice and it was the biggest piece of furniture at seven and a half feet long, uh, long and wide. It was a square and, and four and a half feet tall. Lastly, in the, in the outside was the laver of water. And this laver was, was made of brass and it was put between the brazen altar and the entrance to the tabernacle itself. It was there for the priests after they would make those, those bloody, nasty sacrifices to, to wash themselves before entering into that separate or sacred holy place. And if they did not wash themselves, the Bible said they would have surely died. This was the complete tabernacle. This is what it looked like. This was what Moses had built in the wilderness according to God's pattern. The outer court was established. It had the laver and it had the, the, the altar. The inner court was established. You see, they had the, 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 the table of showbread and the, the, that light or the candlestick, the altar of incense. You had that separating curtain and then you had the holy place, the holy of holies where the ark of God would sit. The tabernacle was the centerpiece for the nation. Everyone would, wherever they went, they would set up their tents around 
the tabernacle. It was, the, it was town square. It was town center for the people. The order of the tabernacle was entering into the outer courts, sacrificing at that brazen altar. And then the priest would go and wash their robes, clean off, make sure there was no, no spot or blemish. And then uh, the, the women of the, of the nation, they brought their, their mirrors, their looking glass, their polished their polish metal, and put that before the, the entrance of the tabernacle so that the, the priests could see themselves and make sure they were, they were spotless. Then after that, you enter in and you, uh, you have the lamp and you have the table of showbread. And then you have the, 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 the altar of incense. And then you enter into the holy place. And once a year, into the holy of holies, the priest will go and have an encounter with God. And some may wonder, you know, this is, this is Old Testament stuff. This, what does the Old Testament tabernacle have to do with us? After all, we're in this dispensation of grace. Yes, we are the New Testament church, but the Old Testament tabernacle was a model, a pattern, not just for them, but for New Testament Christians, for this New Testament church, for this grace church. It shows us step by step how to encounter God daily. It helps us pray. It gives us a pattern of how to live and how to be holy, how to be separate. The priests of old maintained the tabernacle. They loved it. They cherished it. They cared for it. They made sure the fires stayed stoked in the altars. The coals could never go out. They, they would tend to them. And I don't know how to make fire. I, I don't think I've ever made fire before other than with a match. But, but they would go in there and make sure the coals were stoked. They would make sure the, the laver was filled with clean water. They would empty it out and make sure it was fresh every day. The, they tended to the candlesticks. The, they cleaned the wicks off and topped it off with oil. The table was always full of showbread. The, the spices of Annika, Galbum, and Stactium mixed with frankincense were gathered to, to make that sweet aroma, and they had to mix them and fill that place every day with that sweet perfume. These were God-given responsibilities of the priests when it came to the tabernacle. We no longer have a tabernacle like the one in the wilderness, but rather, in the time we live, we are to be the tabernacle. We are to be the sanctuary where Jesus dwells. Our hearts, our minds, our spirits are now supposed to be that holy place. 1 Corinthians says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which whom you have received of God. Do you not know each and every one of us being born again of the water and of the Holy Spirit are, are now temples? And it is, are we, we, in, in, we are there temples of the Holy Spirit and we have inherited a divine responsibility of the priesthood. Now I know that can be a scary word for some. Responsibility. Sometimes I don't like having responsibilities myself. Can I, I'm just being real. Can I get an Amen. Sometimes responsibilities are, are, can be overwhelming and they, 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 can, they can be an inconvenience sometimes, but, but it's, a, it's more of a privilege and a duty to take care of our tabernacles, to take care of our temples. 
If Jesus lives in the tabernacle or the temple of your heart, it's your duty, it's your honor, your privilege to take care and keep a holy place for him to dwell. Pastor can't keep your tabernacle. A bishop can't keep your tabernacle. Parents and friends, siblings cannot keep your tabernacle, but it's up to you to maintain your heart, your tabernacle, your mind, your spirit as a place for Jesus to be invited in and to live. We are that chosen generation, the royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. As priests, we must maintain and tend to our tabernacles. We must tend to our relationships with Jesus. It's more than a thank you, Lord, for this food and God help me because I'm going to smack somebody. But it's good morning, Jesus. It's 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 I love you, Jesus. It's hey, how you doing, Jesus? It's applying prayer education to the tests of life. See, I know what's going on around here. I love listening to the podcast. It's applying that the principles of education, having a prayer life, having a relationship. That's how you maintain the holy place. It's our responsibility to enter in the gates with thanksgiving and with praise as we've done this morning and make known the goodness of God. Psalms 100 in the King James, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with a hallelujah, with a thank you, Jesus, and Bless his name. After we enter into that outer court, we come to the part where nobody really likes. That's the most difficult part. We come to that brazen altar. Another term for for altar, the New Testament term, would be come to our cross. If we're to follow the example that Jesus gave us, we have to deny ourselves and take up our cross, take up our altar in repentance. And repentance is an everyday thing. I need forgiveness more than just once a day. I mess up every five minutes. Can I get a witness out there? I mess up every five minutes. But Paul told the Corinthians, I die daily. We crucify ourselves with Christ on that brazen altar on that cross the altar was the biggest piece of furniture because there's a whole lot of flesh that's got to go on it I don't know about you but it's not because of this but it's because of this sometimes that there's a whole lot of me that's got to go on the altar that altar it sends the fire to make us pure singes off all the nasty stuff it it burns it away to make us pure Next, we have the the laver of water. That's where we wash ourselves. The laver had no measurement. And that, uh, it had no measurement, and that's significant because we, got, we, we used the, uh, the laver to get all the char and the ash and the blood of sacrifice and forgiveness off of us. It's where we're washed clean. There was no measurement because there, was no, there is no limit to the word of God. The word of God washes us. It's this that washes us pure and clean. Yes, we have the water of baptism, but in this grace, we have to read our Bibles. We have to know the word because the word 
washes us. It's a mirror that I hold up to myself. And I'm like, do I look like Jesus? This is God's word. Do I look like Jesus when I open this Bible? Do I look like Jesus when I leave for my house? Do I look like Jesus in the in, in Monday morning traffic? Do I look like Jesus and when 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 the at, at two in the clock two o'clock on Tuesday afternoon when there seems to be no hope in sight? You got the rest of the week. Do I look like Jesus? Too many Christians stay in the outer court. They go through the steps of salvation. You know, they repent and get, get forgiveness. They get baptized and they receive the Holy Spirit living in them. But they don't go any farther. The joy, there is joy in salvation, but there's so much more to Christianity than just being saved. There's so much more to Christianity than just going to church on Sunday mornings. There's so much more to a relationship with Jesus than a half hour on a Sunday morning and a half hour on a Wednesday. There's so much more than singing songs and then saying, Lord, bless you. We'll see you Wednesday. But there is a holy place, a sacred place where the God Almighty dwells, where you can live with him, talk with him, walk with him, commune with him. But the only way to get there is taking on the responsibility of the the priesthood, putting on those priestly robes, opening this word, finding your prayer time, finding your prayer closet, and entering in to the presence of God. The priests had beautiful robes and, and a breastplate that they would wear, they would don before entering into the inner court of the tabernacle. They put on that breastplate, and that breastplate was made of pure gold, and it had 12 precious gems on it. They would put that on. After the sacrifice, and I'm going to pause here for a second and let you know that don't think that you have to go through something to get beauty from ashes. Don't think you have to have some tribulation or some issue to get beauty from ashes. But I want to tell you this morning, there is beauty from everyday repentance. There is beauty from everyday nailing yourself to your cross. There's beauty from the ashes on that brazen altar every day when we ask for repentance, when we ask for forgiveness. That is where beauty comes from because from the ashes of sacrifice, you put on the priestly robes, you don yourself with holiness, you don yourself with Jesus, and that is where we get beauty. I know it's been preached and taught and everything about, you know, beauty from ashes and it's the currency of miracles and, and ashes, you know, take, bring you problems and bring all your shame and pain and all that stuff. But beauty comes from every day, every morning, every evening. Forgiveness is beautiful. Forgiveness is wonderful. Forgiveness prepares me to enter in and go boldly before the throne of grace. That's the beauty of holiness. It's not some set of rules, but, but separ it's not, separation isn't locking yourself in some, some church box, but the beauty of holiness is separation from where you were, separation from bitterness, separation from that smelly fish mouth, separation from your mess, from addictions, from anxiety. That's what we have in altar. It's to put all of who we were every day, nailing it to the cross so we can enter in 
in and be separate from all the other stuff. Be separate from everything because if you don't burn it, it'll try to pull on you. It'll grab you by the leg, but if you burn it, it'll singe off. You burn it and I get to beauty and I get to forgiveness and I get to grace and I start getting to where God can talk to me. God can commune with me. Jesus, to be a friend to me. When you're born again, you're born into this priesthood. It allows you to go into the inner courts. The outer court is where the natural light shines. It's all, that's because it's all about you, when you and preparing yourself for the presence of God. But when you enter in, only, the only light in that tabernacle is the light from the candlestick that lights up and you start to see things of God. You cannot see outside and no one can see in when you're in that inner place. The devil can't follow you in. Your problems can't follow you in. Satan can be throwing all of hell at you. But, uh, but when there, you enter into that tabernacle, there is refuge. He is shut out when you go in. When you seek refuge, you are then elevated into that higher dimension. And the devils and all the problems and everything else will be under your feet. It's in here where the table of showbread feeds us. We eat from this word. It's our, it's our daily bread. We, we get it and gnaw on it and just oh, get it inside my belly and, and let it digest. And, and it gets in your heart. David said, my, your word that I hid, have I hid in my heart so I might not sin against you. We eat that bread of life. It nourishes us. It's our devotions, our Bible. The light comes from the golden candlestick. That's the Holy Ghost. That's God's spirit living in us. And it illuminates this bread. And we start seeing things through new lenses, through a, uh, through, a, through, a, through a Jesus perspective, we start seeing, and that's when the Bible starts being alive and it starts talking to us. When we have the Holy Ghost living inside of us, it illuminates us. Even after uh, you know, we read our Bible, we keep the Holy Ghost as a candlestick, as a, as a light to, to guide our paths and to be lights in this dark world. It illuminates it illuminates. We keep the oil in our lamps to keep it burning. We keep ourselves full of the Holy Ghost so that we can shine wherever we go. After that, we need to mix the incense of prayer and sacrifice, worship on the altar of incense. We need to, that's the altar of intercession. And we need to intercede for ourselves. We need to intercede for this world with the sweet fragrance. We need to intercede for our families. We need to intercede for our pastor. We need to intercede for, for, for fellow brethren and sisters in Christ. That's where we intercede, is at that altar. And last, we need the mercy seat to come. We need to be at that mercy seat where God comes to us. This is an intimate place where the bride and the bridegroom come together. We are in the pure, holy, unadulterated presence of the one who cares for us. We're in the presence of the one who loves us. We're in the presence of the one who died for us, who saw me in my mess, reached down with loving arms, and told me that I was his, made me in his own image. I mean, some, I'm, I'm, I mean something. I'm not worthless, and I have purpose. What is our purpose? Our purpose is to be salt and to be light to this world, 
The purpose of the priesthood is not just our daily devotion and our daily prayer time. This, uh, the, 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 the priesthood is not just for us, but it's for the world. When, we, when the people of Fairfield and Vacaville, Solano County bring their guilt and their shame here, it is our duty, it's our responsibility when they bring their hurts and their disappointments, their rejections and their shame. It's our responsibility, it's our privilege, it's our honor to show them that they have an altar, to show them where the altar is and they can lay all that down. We have to be priests for this world and show them where the altar is. Show them how to pick up their cross. We have to show them the beauty of forgiveness, the beauty of repentance, the freedom in holiness. We have to wash them according to Acts 2 and 38 by baptizing in the only name by which we can be saved, which is Jesus Christ. May we take them inside and show them how to light their lamps. Show them the beauty of the Holy Ghost that they have. The Holy Spirit living inside of them. How it lights up their lives. Take them to the table of showbread. We got to teach Bible studies. Invite somebody to a small group. We've got to teach them. Show them this word. Show them that if they eat, they will never hunger again. If they drink, they will never have to thirst again. We have to show them we are the priesthood. Teach them how to pray so they can get to the holy of holies where God sits on the mercy seat and sees us through lenses of grace and not through the law for the blood covers us. You have to show them how to boldly go to the throne of God where Jesus sits. We are to be priests for this lost world. We have to be priests for the millions of lost souls in our communities, our families, our friends, loved ones, our coworkers, people we run into on the street, Walmart, Rayleigh's. We have to be priests for them because if nobody else is going to be a priest, how can we show them the love of Jesus? If nobody shows them the altar, the cross, how are they supposed to get the rejection off? How are they supposed to walk in guiltlessness, shamelessness? If we are not, if we do not embrace this priesthood, this divine calling that when we go, we go forth into our world, not just all the world, but into our worlds. There's, there's about a hundred plus different worlds in here. That we go into our world and we share this gospel. We share this good news. We share this Jesus. That no wherever we go, they see the light of our tabernacle shining. Let's all stand this morning. The Bible says we are a chosen generation. It's up to us. We are a royal priesthood. It's up to us. We're that holy nation, that, that nation that's separate from who we were. Separate from everything that, 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 that Satan wants to call. The devil says, I was broken. I was in bondage. I was a slave. But Jesus says, you are free. You are my child. You are my chosen one. 
You are loved. You do have purpose. The devil wants to give you past tense of what happened, but God, Jesus, wants to give you present tense of who you are currently. But there's a second part to this verse. We're the royal priesthood, but why? That we should show forth the praises. That we speak highly of the Jesus that called us out of darkness. That we speak highly and great of our Jesus that brought us into his light. That brought us into his spirit. That has adopted us into his body. That we have a hope of heaven and seeing the one who died on a bloody, gory tree just for me. And he raised back up with all power in his hand to come and once again, just like in the tabernacle of Moses, to live with his creation, to live with the ones he chose, to live with you, to live with me, to, to, to walk with me, for him to say he's my friend, that I hold on to his hand as he walks and I walk through life and I follow in his footsteps. And sometimes if he goes too fast, I might stumble, but he's, he's right there to pick me up. He's right there to hold me in his arms. When I'm feeling down, when I'm feeling, when I'm feeling the guilt and the shame of the world come upon me, he says, I've been there. I've been there. I love you. I know what it's like, but let me, let me take you from this altar. Let me take you from the cross because I got down and you can get down too. Let me show you the inside. Let me show you my spirit. Let me show you the wonders of my word. And then I intercede for the people I love because God has been so good to me. Jesus has been so wonderful to me and I get on my knees and I start to intercede on my face. God, save this world. Forgive them of their sins. They know not what they do. In that worship, I start to worship and tell God how good he is. What a mighty God you are. What a mighty God I serve. God, you are holy. God, you are righteous. Jesus, you are the way and the truth and the life. And from there, I enter in to the holy of holies, to that box, to that golden box where he sits on that mercy seat. And the blood just runs over me. Because that's all he sees is his blood from that cross. It's our responsibility to tell this world about the one who shed that blood, about the one who saved us, about the one who redeemed us, about the one who pulled us out of our muddy mess and gave us new life. We sing praises of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. This morning, I want to give a, a chance for, for everybody to, 
for everybody to come up in unity, for everybody to come up around the front. And if you have not received this Holy Spirit, this Jesus, if you want to know about this light that shines in the darkness, if you want to know about getting rid of your guilt and your shame, this is the morning to do it. This is the time to do it. Jesus wants to be with you. Jesus wants to walk with you. Jesus wants to be a friend to you. He says you no longer have to have those heavy weights and just feel depressed all the time but I will give you liberty I will give you freedom I will give you rest for your tired bodies for more information about City Grace you can find us online at citygrace.church we'll see you next week